And the city kind of told everybody at the beginning, we need, we don't have a lot of time to do this. So we can't be fighting with each other or not getting along and doing right. things like that. We needed to find a way to work together for a common goal. And uh, that was a substantial you know, lesson that everybody had to learn. And then once we learned it um, and put it into, in, into effect, it, was, it had a tremendous positive impact on the, the success of the project to date. Welcome to Manage This, the podcast by project managers for project managers. This is our chance to meet and discuss the things that really matter to you as a professional project manager. We take seriously the adage that wisdom is found in a multitude of advisors. And so we seek out experts in a variety of vocations who can give us insight based on their real life experiences. I'm your host, Nick Walker, and with me is the one who guides these conversations, Bill Yates. And Bill, we talk about all sizes and scopes of projects on this podcast, and today we're talking about another really big one. Yeah, this one's deep, a very deep project. We'll talk more <laughs> about that, but I can't wait. Well, let's talk about this deep project just a little bit. The City of Atlanta's Department of Watershed Management provides water to 1.2 million users each day. The department is in the middle of establishing a 400-foot-deep reservoir that will hold 2.4 billion gallons of water. The reservoir will be in the former Bellwood Quarry, northwest of downtown Atlanta. The quarry is to be filled through a five-mile-long tunnel that will connect it to the Chattahoochee River, the city's primary water source. To bore the tunnel, a tunnel boring machine, or TBM, was constructed and installed for the two-year-long tunnel project. A TBM. And there's another acronym that yeah. uh, we want to talk about, and, and you'll probably hear this come up a lot. That's CMAR. Right. C-M-A-R. So C-M-A-R. That's a, really it's a procurement term. It's a contract type, and it stands for Construction Manager at Risk. Once the agreement was reached between the city of Atlanta and that major provider, uh, Bob will talk about that. So you may hear the owner, City of Atlanta, refer to the project manager, the team, as the CMAR. So you may hear CMAR that way. Good. Well, we've got a couple of guests in the studio here. Let me first introduce Adea Bond, Senior Watershed Director for the City of Atlanta Department of Watershed Management. He is the director for the Capital Projects Management Division, Ade has 34 years of experience, 19 of which have been for the City of Atlanta in the planning, design, construction management, and program management for wastewater collection and water distribution systems. Ade, welcome to Manage This. Uh, thank you very much. I'd like to start off by just maybe finding out a little bit more about you. What was your career path to the position that you're now in? Yeah, I've got a very long career path, and I'm <laughs> going to try and do my best to lay it all out. Right? Yeah, I born, raised in Nigeria. I went, I worked for a couple of years on a road construction project. Mm. Uh, in Nigeria? In Nigeria. Um, I worked for a company named George Wimpy & Co. The project was basically building a 122-mile long road uh, connecting two major cities in Nigeria, Jos mm. to Baoshi. I spent... Um, two good years um, in the jungle um, working as a junior site engineer, uh, where we actually cleared for the first time um, a forest um, in order to make this 122-mile-long road. 
So for me, I learned a lot. And, uh, and you brought those talents to the U.S. in, in 1987? Of course, yes. Um, <laughs> well, these two years that I'm talking about was between 1977 and 79. Mm-hmm. Okay. After which I then went back to the university um, for a five-year degree program. So I got a bachelor's degree in civil engineering, um, after which I came to the U.S. Uh, then I got a master's degree in the U.S. in civil engineering as well. I've worked for 15 years in the private sector um, as a consultant, really working for consulting engineering firms. Um, then after that, I joined the city. Um, I did that in the year 2000. And um, the reason why I joined the city was really because um, in late 90s, the city was placed under a consent decree uh, by the EPA, EPD where it was mandated to fix all the wastewater sewer overflows uh, that we had all over the city. Uh, what that meant was that the city was um, required to spend close to $3, 4000000000 billion mm. wow. in major infrastructure improvements um, on the pipelines and the treatment facilities for wastewater. So uh, when I read about that and um, knowing what I wanted to do, my career path, I saw that as an opportunity to contribute more, uh, not just on individual projects, but really to do something massive, something that would touch many lives. So that was why I joined the city. Yeah, that's great. (laughs) And um, it makes you a smart customer too, a very smart sponsor, because, I mean, you cut your teeth doing this type of work. Those are my favorite customers when they know what they're talking about. Is When I'm a PM delivering something, I like a, a customer who's been there, done that, and they've gotten their hands in it. So you've got that background, that rich background that I'm sure Bob will appreciate that when we get deeper into this project. <laughs> yeah, you're so you know right. what you know you know what you're talking about. You are right. Um, I've been there. I've done it. I yes. know what the frustrations were when I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you try to help your team now, not to go through the difficult paths, basically. Right. So, yes. So the experience has been really tremendous for me. Yes. Uh, but, so just um, to clarify, your role in this project is really as the sponsor and the customer. You represent the customer. Correct. I we love that. having conversations with different with folks that have different roles in projects. So it's a it's great to have a sponsor, a customer in the room to be able to, to ask questions about a project. Very good. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thank hope, you. Delighted to be here. Well, let's talk a little bit about how this project got started. What was the need? Well, I've been in the U.S. since '87. But since 1992, I know we've been through droughts, right? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Off and on. But there was a particular drought season that really stayed, stuck with me. I mean, it would not go away. Uh, that was the one that occurred between 2005 and 2007. We um, all remember that one very well. I yes. mean, one could um, look at the pictures in, news, in the newspapers of Lake Lanier water level, and you were really scared. You, you, if you were working for the city like I was at that point, you were wondering whether the bottom was going to fall out, really. Uh, <laughs> are we going to go totally dry where we'll be importing water from other states, you know? Hmm. Uh, that was really troubling. I mean, it troubled me. It troubled the mayor at that time, uh, Shelley Franklin. It troubled the governor, Governor Purdue. Yes. Look, I remember the governor actually praying, right, for water publicly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sure. Um, that was scary. So I believe that helped us to, when I say helped us, helped the city, the leadership, to uh, refocus on actually solving this problem because the problem had been there all along, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've always known that we have only one active reservoir uh, for raw water supply uh, and the water in that reservoir will only 
last for three days, really. Wow. And that's so, the whole city of Atlanta. How many people are we talking about that are impacted by that? 1.2 million people okay. is the population we serve. So you're talking of all businesses in the city really being shut down, really, mm-hmm. unless you can get water down here from other locations. And that was why the quarry property was purchased uh, by the city. So you had um, a reservoir problem to solve. That is big. Yes. Plus, we had pipelines, really. The pipelines conveyed water from the river to our treatment plants. Um, the oldest is 125-plus years old, as we speak. Um, <laughs> 125 years old. So, um, I mean, the, the pipe still works, but the point is it's getting to a point where you must replace it. Right? Yes. Um, no doubt about it. It's, right. it's done all it can do. But with the drought, I believe, that forced us really to actually take a quick action on the reservoir issue. You know, how do we get more water, more than three days of supply? Mm. But with the quarry being available at that time and the leadership making that call to buy it, and I think they made the best call in the world, I think. And um, that, that has gotten us to where we are today, where we're actually converting that quarry to um, a reservoir that will provide a lot of water to us in the mm. future. A couple of quick facts. Tell us, what's the, what was the timeline for the project? We started the design, serious design effort, right, um, in about 2014, early okay. 2014. We brought a simmer, which is the construction manager at risk, uh, PC Russell JV, um, represented by Bob Huey here mm-hmm. today. We brought them in in um, 2015. Okay. And um, so basically one can say design formally started in 2014, one quick question. The CMAR, the construction manager at risk, this is a, a contract type, right, that you guys implemented for this this project. Yeah, very right. Um, we've got a few delivery methods that we use in actually uh, procuring contracts and um, running projects. Um, and usually an owner, in my case, um, looks at all those delivery methods and um, select one that is the best for the particular project, right? Yes. Um, the CIMA, construction manager at risk. It allows the city of Atlanta, as an owner, to actually um, select an outfit that comes in, with, comes in with a lot of skill, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience. Right. And working with the engineer that the owner has retained uh, to actually develop the plan from 30% stage to where the project is fully developed. But the greatest advantage of a CIMA really is that um, as soon as the CIMA comes on board, uh, the CIMA is a construction manager as well as a contractor, meaning mm. he's got the capacity to actually bring in subcontractors yes. and start doing work immediately on whatever aspect of the project is designed mm-hmm. well enough. In this case here, really, the big... Um, Time consumer on a project of this magnitude, um, when you're building a tunnel in hard rock, very deep, mm-hmm. tunnel, is getting a TBM, a tunnel boring machine, okay. manufactured. Ah, so you had to build. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going to go ahead and say it, Driller Mike. You had to build Driller Mike. Oh, yeah. It has to actually <laughs> right. brand new equipment that had to be manufactured. And um, from procurement to where you actually have such a machine delivered to the site, it takes a minimum of one year. Oh. So the thought process was, if we get the CIMA on board in 2015, then the owner could release the CIMA to actually initiate the procurement of the TBM, which yes. was what we did. Okay. So as soon as 
the city and um, PC Russell, the SEMA, um, wrote their contract and agreed. Yeah. Uh, the, then the SEMA was able to put in procurement of the TBM on behalf of the city. Got it. Um, what that does really saves us quite a so many months. I would say if it's not a year, it saved us probably something between eight and a year. Mm, that makes uh, sense. I, I had no idea. I've seen images of this huge drilling machine, and we'll get Bob to describe that more. I didn't even think about how long it would take to build it. I know I can't go into Home Depot and buy one. No. <laughs> I, I, th- I think we better be- bring in Bob to our I think conversation, we okay? <laughs> Bob Huey, his 38-year construction career with PC Construction, has focused on water treatment and water supply infrastructure work throughout the United States. Bob has managed over $1 billion worth of water and wastewater treatment plant upgrades and expansions, with particular emphasis on integrated delivery projects in the southeastern United States. Bob, I I think we ought to get a little uh, insight into your background as well and and how you came to be involved in this project. Sure, sure. Um, Well, my family, it was a construction family, Hmm. and so we, uh, we all got into the business, I guess is the way to say it. Um, but uh, I graduated uh, from Norwich University, in, which is in Northfield, Vermont, uh, and went to work for, at the time, Pizzagalli Construction Company, which is now PC Construction Company. Um, I came to Atlanta about 20 years ago and have worked on, I'm going to call it infrastructure-type work, uh, um, building uh, wastewater treatment plants and water facilities and uh, and had the opportunity in 2015 when the city selected P.C. Russell to be the construction manager at risk to be the project director for the for the CMAR um, to, uh, to to perform this project. Obviously, we've got a lot of brains working together on this on this project, and that's a good thing because it's it's a massive project. We're talking about a five mile, twelve foot diameter tunnel that's just over eight kilometers and. 3.6 meters diameter. And it's, it's, it's a tunnel that's lined with cement. So what was the whole process for, for the design of this? Uh, were, there, were there other options? I mean, how did you decide uh, on, on what you were going to actually build? Yeah, let me interject one thing too. I mean, Ade said, he, he brought out the, the obvious thing that there was a lot of property that we just could not choose, we couldn't use because it's already been developed. Is that what made you guys go underground? <laughs> that is always um, a major consideration when we're thinking of doing any work in the city, really. Yes. Because of the density of uh, the development today, we we'll prefer not to disrupt businesses mm-hmm. um, because uh, wherever you do pipeline work, really, you're going to take some businesses out of service. Um, so we've done this. The last, um, I would say, 20 years, really, the city has built a lot of tunnels. Okay. That has allowed us to actually do a lot of things, solve a lot yeah. of problems with minor disruption to businesses, to our customers, because mm. that's the key, right? That's good. So from the start, Bob, did you know it's going to be a tunnel? You were brought in. That that decision had already been made. That decision had been made at, at the time when we came on board. There was still some determination that the city was trying to make as it relates to how much of the tunnel to build. Okay. Okay. And it was actually done in, in two phases. We were initially contracted to do kind of the initial phase from the quarry to the Hemphill water treatment plant site. And then later on, we added the scope of work to go from the Hemphill water treatment plant all the way to the river. So mm-hmm. it was done in multiple phases. Got it. And to get this tunnel, you had to have this big, gigantic machine uh, called Driller Mike, 
<laughs> that was yeah. that's what, what the nickname was. Tell us a little bit about uh, the process of actually using this machine to dig. Sure, sure. Um, a, a tunnel boring machine is uh, is a very large machine. I mean, it's a lot bigger than you can actually believe. Um, it's 400 feet long. 400 feet. So, wow. you know, that's probably the first thing that people don't realize is that it's, it's not just a digging machine. Wow. You've got to be able to support it with electrical systems, hydraulic systems, uh, ways in which to get the, the rock out of the tunnel. Um, in this case, the, the tunnel subcontractor chose to, um, to use a, a, a kind of a, a mining car type system where they, they, where they would bring uh, mining uh, cars in to collect the rock. Okay. Hmm. And, and the tunnel boring machine, as it's moving forward, discharges the rock back to, the, to, to where the cars are, are located. Yeah. On this particular job, there was a lot of changes in direction that we had to navigate. And so that added to the complexity uh, of actually mining the tunnel. Where you so had it to, wasn't a straight shot. wasn't a straight shot. There were at least uh, had a dozen curves in the... In the yeah. Wow. In the, in we have the, many curves the, there. How, how do you... T- okay. The, so it's, a, it's longer than a football field, and you have to gradually make yes. that turn. Yeah, yeah. So picture, <laughs> yeah. picture cutting turn rock. Turn on the yeah, Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Um, and, and the reason the city ended up doing it that way is the right-of-way process, where they actually secure right-of-way to where to put the tunnel, most of the tunnel is actually beneath the railroad system that, that's in Atlanta. Ah. It, it was just easier, you know. Because you had right-of-way. Yeah, because you had right-of-way to, to do it that way. And how deep are we talking? Uh, it starts out at roughly 300 feet in the quarry. Okay. Uh, it goes as deep as 450 feet at the Hemp Hill plant. Oh, and then I think it's around three, two, 200. 250 to 300 at the, at the river. Okay. Yeah. And what's the pace? I mean, I've seen cartoons where drills go really fast sure, and yeah. rock is spewing. So <laughs> on, on our best day, which is a good, always the one that we like to talk about, yes. it's, it's about 125, 130 feet we, okay. we did. And, uh, and, but on average, it's right around 50 feet per day in, wow. in, that, in that area. So it, it, it's slow, you know, compared to what you might think. Uh, yeah. But when you think about what it's actually doing, where, that it's cutting through granite, at a depth where there's a lot yeah. of water coming in, right. it, it you know really tough con- working conditions, it it's pretty it's pretty fast paced actually. That that's that's just amazing. Many of the projects I've worked on, I've had technical experts that are giving me different opinions, and then there's that whole decision making process. How did you guys? What was your decision making criteria? How did you how did you reach consensus? It was actually done prior to our arrival. Okay. Yeah, I think the alignment was really more something the city and Stantec tunnel yeah. engineer would, you know, would do. So I'd let the Yeah, day. Bob is very right. Um, as I expressed earlier, the city hired um, an engineering consulting firm, um, in this case, um, Stantec. Yes. We're familiar uh, with Stantec. It's yes. part of that. And um, the selection of Stantec was very strategic because we know they can do it. They've got the knowledge, and we know most of their folks as well. Right. Now, as a team, the owner, the engineers, the geologists, you know, everybody will have to walk through several workshops, really, um, to find out the best alignment for the tunnel. Okay. A lot of geotechnical investigation work actually preceded all that. You have to put in, you have to Current, you have to do yeah, your core current. samples, right? Yeah, exactly. Every 2,000 feet along the alignment, okay. which is what we like. We think at 2,000 feet, you, you'll know enough about the ground where they can then make determination as to the best alignment. Mm-hmm. And um, they can kind of forecast 
what the rock would look like, what the fractures in the rock would look like, how much water inflow gets into the tunnel. Uh, mm. Tunneling is very challenging. It's not just the rock cutting that you are, you are fighting. Mm. It's really how do you deal with the water inflow that comes into the tunnel every minute, every second of the day. If the experts have um, kind of forecasted a number that is too low in terms of inflow into the tunnel, you may end up flooding the tunnel completely. <laughs> what that means is your machine, actually, the TBM could be flooded, and that could be a major game stopper, right? Yes. Stopper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of things that goes into this. What does the rock, rock look like? Um, how much fractures do you have in the rock? Mm. Which segment of the tunnel should that line? Which should that not line? Mm. Uh, reason is because every decision you make I could cost you millions of dollars, you know. Mm. <laughs> and lining mm. is not cheap. I yes. can tell you that. Um, <laughs> mm. On this podcast, we talk a lot about the unexpected things that come up on projects. What other things? I, I mean, I'm thinking about, um, you know, uh, weather, the thickness or the hardness of the rock. Were, were there any any uh, items that uh, that maybe you hadn't completely thought of that uh, came up unexpected that that kind of slowed it down or made it tougher than sure. it would have been? Yeah, um, because of the alignment of the tunnel, we, we we did have some issues where we had to fight through how to best how to best overcome those problems as far as mining the tunnel and and allowing the machine to do the work that it was intended to do. But the reason it became a success is because everybody got to the table and figured out what we needed to do. And everybody was set on the goal. We got to keep this machine moving. Um, during the mining of the tunnel, uh, rough, uh, roughly uh, a couple of miles in, uh, we, we discovered some groundwater issues. Uh, I, I'm going to contamination type issues, um, which was not necessarily affecting, you know, the tunnel itself per se. It was more a health and safety type thing where some of the workers were being exposed to chemicals that became gaseous because of the cutting of the rock. Mm. And, and so we, we collectively, the city, the tunnel subcontractor ourselves, you know, had to decide, oh, how are, how are we going to deal with it? it you know, for, for roughly 1,000 feet of mining over a three-month period of time, which is not, not a whole lot um, of mining, uh, you know, they, they had to work in hazmat conditions in order to, to get past the mm -hmm. condition that we discovered. Now, ultimately, um, you know, the, the tunnel will be lined and grouted. So the condition that we're talking about is going to go away and has gone away for the most part. But during the construction, it was a, it was a challenge. Yeah, a risk and, occurred. Yeah. Like, okay, what do we do with this? Exactly. A big exactly. unknown. Yeah. So, <laughs> big unknown. So, you know, and a lot yeah. of times when you have a situation like that, People can dig their heels in and say, "No, we're not going to. We're not going to move forward. Mm. We're going to wait." And you get a lot of people involved. Well, that's not what we did. We mm. we, we jumped on it and we said, "This is what we got to do. We got to get the right experts involved and help us make the right decisions on health and safety." And and it was done that way. And the city recognized that it, it that it was a an important thing that had to be done and funded accordingly. Bob, on a lighter note, did you ever have a neighbor? come running out of the house going, you guys are shaking all the dishes off of my china cabinet. <laughs> we, we, had one, we had one neighbor, um, <laughs> an apartment complex, that uh, was concerned about some of the work we were doing at the Hemp Hill site. Um, they were concerned about their sales because they had just finished the, an apartment complex nearby. Uh, ah. So we, we, had a, we had to get through uh, kind of a, a legal situation there, mm -hmm. which we did, and, and, it, and it was all done collaboratively, just like, we were doing at the project level, 
Um, and ultimately it, it didn't impact the project and, and had very little impact on the, on the apartment complex. So, but yeah, it happens. It happens. It was was more of a noise issue, you know, that kind of thing. And just not, not being, you know, accustomed to that type of noise on a construction site. It's very normal. Sure. The moment they were ready to bring tenants in, uh, that was when they started complaining, concerned that they may not be able to bring in enough tenants. That was the problem, really. It was really financial, but we resolved it. They understood we had to do what we were doing. One question I wanted to ask, really, either either or both of you, what lessons learned did you have from your perspective, from the from the role that you were playing in this? What lessons learned would you share? The one I like to talk a, a little bit about is the team collaboration is is kind of the one of the big things from a lesson learned perspective uh, is was very important for this job and and the city kind of told everybody at the beginning we need we don't have a lot of time to do this. So we can't be fighting with each other or not getting along or doing right. things like that. We needed to find a way to work together for a common goal. And uh, that was a substantial um, you know, lesson that everybody had to learn. And then once we learned it um, and put it into, in, into effect, it, was, it had a tremendous positive impact on the, on the, the success of the project to date. Hmm. So. so where are we in the project? The, the tunnel is completed, right? The mining of the tunnel was completed in October last year. Correct. The, uh, the lining of the tunnel is currently underway. The expectation is, is that it will be completed in September, October, so roughly a year after the mining was complete. Pump station facilities are, are, are effectively built, uh, and the shafts beneath the pump stations are, are, have been built and completed. That These shafts actually tie into the tunnel and uh, connect the tunnel and the quarry to, to each other, those sort of things. Um, so we're, our expectation is, is that the tunneling work should be completed by the end of the year. And at, at that point in time, we would be introducing water into the tunnel and eventually into the quarry so that we can do the final testing of the pumping facilities and things like that. And so. what's the timeline on that? And, and uh, Describe so kind of how it, that happened. It's actually remarkable. <laughs> when you and I think about it, 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 it we, we came on board and there was a concept of what we were going to do. We didn't have design documents. It was a concept. We're going to do this. And, and you know, using some of the tools that we brought to the table, scheduling, planning, mm-hmm. um, estimating skills, uh, the market conditions and things like that, um, we, we identified kind of the critical parts of the job that needed to get going right away in order for the job to get started and, and, and developed, you know, pricing for that. Were given was given authorization by the city to proceed with the work based on that uh, based on the the estimates that we had come up with, uh, and and the work began and that all that all happened within months of of us actually being contracted, hmm. uh, probably three months we and, and we were already um, starting you know construction activity right. at at two sites hmm. and uh, uh, so the um, the actual tunneling operation a day mentioned earlier was dependent upon the TBM. Uh, that TBM showed up in the summer of 2016, roughly right. six or eight months after we had started. And the, it was built, uh, and then the t- it was put into operation in October of 2016. Hmm. Roughly two years after that, the mining was complete in 2018. And, and, and then, like I said earlier, the, the lining of the tunnel has been going on really for the last number of months and should finish up at the end of this year. And at that time, 
pump station should be done and we'd be ready to start putting the system into place. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Just to piggyback on what Bob said about lessons learned on the project, there are a couple more that I would like to highlight, right? Um, the simmer as uh, a delivery method, uh, while it has been used for many, many years in that the That contract US, type. That contract mm-hmm. type for facilities type construction primarily. Um, this actually is the first time that I know of that it's, uh, it has been used for um, a complex underground project huh? like ours. Yeah. So we learned a lot. We had to, uh, as an owner, right, we had to basically step up to the plate and be available every single day because of the unknowns in underground construction and the decisions you have to make could potentially lead to costing millions of dollars or saving millions of dollars. We cannot be too far from the table. So we formed this team that worked collaboratively every day. I mean, there were a ton of workshops. The first three months, um, (laughs) we couldn't breathe, all of us really, because um, (laughs) we were trying to get a subcontractor for tunneling hired uh, very quickly. So going through that bid process, interviewing, and then trying to get them to also not only give you pricing for the first phase, but to anticipate that we're going to be adding the second mm. four-mile right. tunnel, which had not been designed. It was challenging. We learned a lot there. Yes, uh, We made it work because it has worked. Uh, another component that I think that we as an owner learned, I personally learned a lot, right? Um, is um, if we are to use a CMI again, right, for this type of underground construction is this intricate, I would like to have brought them in much earlier. Ah, even earlier. Even earlier. Mm. Uh, Reason is because when the owner was designing, making decisions on the tunnel alignment and making decisions on what the components of the tunnel would look like, I would have liked to have had the CIMA and the tunnel subcontractor, if possible, be part of that discussion uh-huh, yeah. uh, so that there are no surprises when the TBM shows up a year later. Right. Uh, because that can be problematic, right? Sure. If a tunnel subcontractor was not part of the decision making in the selection of the TBM, then he ends up getting the TBM, then he has to make it perform. Right. Uh, to a certain le- expectation of the owner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that may not happen because um, they were not part of that discussion. Things may not work like they would have liked to, it to work. Sure. And we experienced that. But we had to actually replace three components of the tunnel boring machine. Right. Okay. Um, with the tunnel contractor believed um, if they had that they say at the beginning, that would not have been the case. Yes. They would have pushed back on those components. Ah. So for me, big lessons learned. Yeah, these are great lessons learned. Thinking about technology decisions that we make and who yeah. really needs to be at the table when yeah. we make them. Can we make that happen? Can we bring everybody in? And then that even daily collaboration with the owner oh, yeah. and those that are performing the work. It, that sounds like an agile concept, but here it is right there in construction as well. Love yeah. that. that way. And yeah. I can see, just so people can't see what we can see since this is a recording, but we have the owner and we have the, the PM, the project director, they're just as happy as can be. They're in the same room. They're, you know, just two feet apart from each other. <laughs> you can feel the love. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so things have gone well. Yeah, the, the other nuance, and this this may not sound like a big thing, but it is, is everybody was put in the same place to do it. Ah, good. We yeah. all worked yeah. out of the same office facilities, yep. owner, True. engineer, contractor, side right. by side. And it really, it, it, it creates an atmosphere that, 
you know, supports the collaboration. Absolutely. So, yeah. Co-location. I co-location. Think that's location. what you call it, That's right? it. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to ask a question to both of you. Uh, I'd like for both of you to chime in on this. I guess bottom line is, is this project going to do what it was set out to do? Is it going to either eliminate or at least minimize the possibility of another massive drought in the Atlanta area? But based on our experience, if we have any of the drafts we've had in the past, right, we will be able to handle all that. We know we've got 2.4 billion gallons of water will be sitting in the reservoir, the quarry reservoir, which will last us for 30 days if we use water at the normal consumption level. Mm -hmm. However, we know this, right, whenever there's a drought, right, what do we do? We conserve, right? So we believe we can push that to 45, 90 days, really. So I don't Mm -hmm. see a problem, really, with any drought in the future. We actually have very deep vertical shafts, 10 of them already um, excavated and lined. It will give us a lot of flexibility in how we use water, how we get water from the river Ah. to the quarry while we're supplying the two treatment plants Mm -hmm. at the same time on a daily basis, and how, if we need to, we can actually stop flow from the river uh, where we do not take anything from the river and feed the tunnel system from the quarry. We have a complete package um, uh, of a solution that will solve our drought concerns um, forever in the city. That's project success. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bob, do you, do you share our day's optimism? I do. I think, I think operationally the facilities have a lot of redundancy built into them. So there's, they've set themselves up for you know, any, any types of issues that might occur from a maintenance perspective and be able to handle those easily. The, actually, the design uh, utilizes gravity in a lot of ways to, to, you know, bring the water to the different places mm. and use it without having to have pumping. You know, you can pump or you can use gravity to to get the water to to, to the locations you need to have them. Uh, it's a but yeah, you know, it's a complex project. But the, the the simplicity of it from an operational perspective, I think, is is what'll you know be a, it'll be a big benefit to the city. You, you need to come see it. it. It's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive when you go down inside that quarry. You'll it's really really hmm. a very interesting you know thing to to behold. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll enjoy it. I will say this, right? Um, Just converting a quarry that was um, exploited for about 100 years Mm. that would have been left as a wasteland, making that into something that will guarantee water supply for the entire city, I just think is is a very good story, really. Uh, The city also has um, a second phase, which is to build this massive 280-acre park. That will be right. wonderful um, addition to that community and that we hope, and we can see the sign already, that is going to pull in development of all sorts, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a win-win, you know. We get water, we get more development, um, our city grows. Mm-hmm. Dave, Bob, <laughs> thank you again so much for being with us and, and describing this, this massive project. I'm just impressed with the, the collaboration that you guys had working together to resolve the issues, to, to get this thing done. And I'm anxious to see how it all works here in the coming years. We've got a gift for you. It's the Manage This Coffee Mug. You'll each receive one of these. And, oh. and uh, I've, I've got mine filled with water. Um, <laughs> someday the water will, uh, will be coming through your tunnel in, yeah, in this cup. thank you. Sure. Yeah. We always like to give our listeners a little something extra with our podcasts, and I hope you're taking advantage of the free PDUs, those professional development units that come from just listening to our podcasts. 
You can claim them by going to VelociTeach.com and choosing Manage This Podcast from the top of the page. Click the button that says Claim PDUs and click through the steps. That's it for us here on Manage This. We hope you'll tune back in on June 18th for our next podcast. In the meantime, you can visit us at VelociTeach.com slash Manage This to subscribe to this podcast, to see a transcript of the show, or to contact us. And tweet us at Manage underscore This if you have any questions about our podcasts or about project management certifications. That's all for now. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep calm and manage this.